0: Hello and welcome all listeners to Xavier Newswire Live, the radio show that will catch you up on all of the Xavier news from Ledgewood Drive to Dana Avenue and beyond. Today is March 22nd, and we are bringing the show to you live on XUFM. I'm your host, David Ludwig.
1: And I'm Erin Albright.
0: And in this episode of Newswire Live, you'll get to hear the Newswire Multimedia crew bring you the rundown on an SGA follow-up, an XUPD update, and an, an interview with Grace Hamilton... And as always, Chloe's Campus Catch-Up, and we might even sneak a few hot takes in there. That's enough for me now, so let's get right into the show. At this time, I would like to turn it over to Hunter Ellis and our guests from the SGA.
2: Thanks, David. Well, I am here to do an update on the SGA, and I will be reading excerpts from the Front News story from last Thursday, written by Joseph Cotton, our campus news editor at the Newswire. The Student Government Association executives have taken actions to implement constitutional changes despite the amendments not passing by Senate vote for two years in a row. SGA President Mickey Townsend, a junior philosophy, politics, and the public major, has been a key figure in the process. She's proposed changes to the SGA Constitution during her tenure on the SGA. She stated, I've been working on the Constitution changes for three years and it's been shut down four times in three years. Townsend said on our show last week. She said, that's why I'm looking forward to this year. I'm looking forward to adding any small pieces to the constitution and developing a new brand for SGA. Now, the first step in this new brand for SGA is creating an executive board to fill this board. The president and vice presidents established three new rules. These positions, while a part of the constitutional amendments proposed to the Senate last year were appointed this winter break by the executives this new board is composed of the Director of Communications, a position filled by Junior communications Studies Major Miles Adams, the Director of Finance, a position filled by Junior PPP and Economics Major Tom Grandin, and the Chief Justice, a position filled by Junior PPP Major Andrew Garrity. Each of these positions has a distinct role. The Director of Communications operates the SGA Social Media along with creating and distributing the SGA Weekly that is sent out every Monday. The Director of Finance deals with the SGA budgets and helps new senators request funds for their initiatives. And the Chief Justice enforces the rules outlined in the Constitution and ensures that they are followed on a meeting-by-meeting basis and mediates the impeachment proceedings that may arise. Secondly, there were two amendments that came to the table to the SGA, The first being lowering the GPA requirement for senators. This amendment passed today by a vote of two-thirds of the senators. In addition, there was an amendment offered that executives could pass new business, excuse me, couldn't pass, but could propose new business to the Senate. Now, as it stands, only senators can propose new business on which the SGA can vote. When this amendment was proposed last week, it was initially met with some resistance And five senators today voted no on the amendment. However, there were still enough votes to pass. Now, these constitution changes will continue to come in small pieces, according to the executives. Instead of proposing one large piece of legislation that has failed in the past two years to make changes to SGA, they will introduce the pieces in small pieces such as what we've seen today and will continue to see throughout the semester to change how SGA operates. So now I'm going to turn it over to a couple people who are joining us today on the Newswire Live. So first, we have Peter Korchak, who is, the, is it the chair of the Board of Elections, Xavier? Yes, that's right. Got it. So, Peter, I just wanted to first ask you, what have you observed when you've been a part of organizing and running these SGA elections the past few years? And is there anything concerning to you?
3: I'd say yes, it's definitely concerning. I'd say my first year being involved with the Board of Elections was three years ago. We had four executive tickets running. It was a very competitive race. It was a very fierce competition. And pretty much everyone in the campus community was very actively following the race and very involved in it. Uh, That election season ended. And at that point, the elections for senators was on a separate date. We only had 20 senators running in that election, so it was not competitive at all. We had enough candidates to fill all the seats on the Senate. And even in that year, when we just had that bare minimum, there was still a culture around SGA that it was a very active presence on campus. You know, the executives and the senators were spending their time and energy tackling big issues that students cared about, things like immigration and gun violence. And it was very public and visible on the campus and things that everyday students could get involved in. And I don't think I've really seen that coming from SGA since then. And it worries me that the reason that every year since then there's been less and less engagement in terms of recruiting candidates as the Board of Elections does and preparing them for the actual campaigning process, it worries me that the lack of visibility among SGA has made the job of the Board of Elections more difficult. Because we're not able to get candidates, organize candidates, get them on the ballot, and actually facilitate the elections process if there isn't much engagement coming from the organization that they're seeking to join.
2: Now, that's super interesting. So I can say my freshman year, I remember voting on the you know SGA senators, and correct me if I'm wrong. There were 17 on that ballot as far as I can remember, and the uh, executive administration of. Thomas Webby, who has been on the show a couple of times and joined us, had to appoint three vacancies at that point. And then last year, I mean, I know you and I talked a lot. Initially, there were only eight or nine candidates that were running. The deadline was then extended to accommodate for a couple other people. But on t- in total, there was only 11 senators that were running this year, right?
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. This year was, I think, especially unique. One, because the pandemic just you know, completely changed the process. The way we had to facilitate the elections process and the campaigning process was completely different. And maybe it was just a student fatigue or a lack of engagement that we've kind of been observing on campus in a lot of different areas. But yeah, it, this year was just way more complex than I think it ever was partly because I think a lack of engagement on top of the pandemic just made it very convoluted in terms of, you know, students weren't really able to understand where they needed to turn to if they wanted to be involved in SGA, what exactly they needed to do. We were only getting a single digit number of candidates interested. So we did have to extend deadlines. We had to change requirements just to get students to essentially say, yes, I want to be involved. We had to waive so many requirements just to get enough people on a Senate that the organization could possibly do things. And that's all that I could really say as to that part of the process.
2: Now, when you didn't have enough candidates at a certain point, the election happens, right? And you only have 11 people on the ballot. Once those people are elected, then the board of elections is hands off, right? After that, it goes to the Uh, the SGA, the Senate's vacancy process outlined in their constitution, right?
3: Yeah, that's that's right. You know, the vast majority of the duties of the Board of Elections take place during the campaigning and elections process. We do do some sort of projects throughout the year, but after the election is over, we have no sort of say in who is on SGA, what exactly they're doing, or how any of those vacancies are going to get filled.
2: And you also mentioned, you know, that there's a different presence, a different culture of the SGA. Can you kind of like elaborate on how you could see this maybe changing. And, you know, obviously there's been some proposed changes to the constitution to try and make SGA more effective. What do you think of that?
3: I think that spending as much time and effort on changes to the constitution as I've seen in the past two, three years, that it's being continually brought up and continually shot down. I frankly think it's a waste of time And I really don't think that the creation of new positions is going to do anything to make more students interested in being a part of SGA. It's only going to make it more complex, I think. It's only going to confuse students as to exactly what the role of SGA is and what opportunities they would have as part of SGA. I think that it's only going to waste more time and deflect from addressing real issues that students are concerned about. And I just don't understand the mindset of thinking that spending all this time trying to come up with new positions and trying to push those positions through to get approved by the Senate is going to do anything to address the lack of engagement with SGA. I think that only creating a culture where SGA actually does things that are visible on campus for students to engage in is going to address that problem. And once you can master that and finally have that engagement back, or at least at a level where it's sustainable, then you can have that conversation about what is the more effective structure of SGA? What would more effective positions be? But I don't think we're anywhere near that conversation.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I just want to bring the host in here. I know I've kind of been know running this like interview i suppose but you know if you have any questions feel free to hop in um but if not um no okay i'm getting a couple of head nods here in the studio um so peter just i mean just any last thoughts you might have you know from either the, the board of elections standpoint about you know working with sga in these elections or you know from a student i mean a concerned student about you know seeing sgas that have been effective in the past and then kind of that culture changing. I mean, you know, what what are you, your final thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, so I'm obviously not a senator. I'm not in those day-to-day meetings of SGA, so I can't necessarily speak to exactly what projects are ongoing, and I'm sure it definitely is a lot. I would encourage any student that thinks they might be interested in SGA to definitely seek that out but go into it with the mindset that you want to actually accomplish things and do things that are going to benefit the student body and not just because not just have it be a meeting that's going to take up two to three hours of your week and have that be nothing else.
2: Absolutely. And well, I like thank you for being here today and thanks for giving your opinion on this matter. Of I course. know you bring a lot of experience being on the board of elections for so long and, and working with, you know, the SGA and working with these elections. So, you know, thanks for your work on that. And again, thanks for being here thanks for having me now we're gonna transition a little bit um but listeners i'd like to remind you that again you know we've been talking about the sga last week we were very fortunate to have president mickey townsend on to talk to us about some of the initiatives that they're working on um and you know there was a obviously a front page article about sga last week in the newswire you can find that on our website um and it was written by Joseph Cotton, our campus news editor, so feel free to look on there to find out more about the roles and the amendments that are being passed, as well as some quotes from current and former students, excuse me, current and former senators about what they think about the constitution changes that are being made. So at this time, I'm going to Uh, Welcome our guest, Senator David Reeves, uh, rejoining the show. Thank you so much for being here once again. We're happy to have you. Yeah,
4: thank you so much for having me.
2: So let's just talk about what happened today. So obviously, these two amendments were on the table, on the docket for today. The meeting happened at 3 o'clock. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, both of these changes passed. So can you walk us through how the discussion went? You know, obviously, you know, Chloe and I were there, uh, you know, members of the Newswire reporting on that process, but give our listeners kind of some background about the discussions and then how the vote turned out.
4: Yeah, so today we approved two amendments. One was to lower the GPA requirement to 2.0 for senators um, from the previous, which was 2.25. The debate and discussion part of um, this amendment really talked about how certain senators believe that SGA senators should be held to a higher standard that we are student leaders and we should be strong academically Um, I did not feel that way I actually abstained from this vote because I I felt like um, yeah we should be student leaders but we as a university we define 2.0 as you know anything under that you're probably on academic probation Um, but it passed, and I'm happy that it did because I think it opens student government up to more people and allows more people to feel like I can run, hopefully, through Board of Elections and or fill a vacancy. Um, and then our second amendment that passed today was um, giving the executives uh, the ability to introduce new business, as you said. And this was one that many senators believed were uh, overreach of power. Um when it first was introduced last week, I definitely felt that way. In some um conversations with the executives away from the SGA meetings, they uh I wouldn't say that they swayed my vote, but they talked to me and they were just like, you still hold the power. The Senate still holds the power. And it has kind of been difficult for us to get things done because the executives have had to come to senators to introduce new business that they need to get passed. Like an event, or like they've had to do it for an event and some other things, and it just makes it easier that they can propose it, but they have no voting power. Like, if we don't like what they're trying to do, we can say no, and then it cannot go any further from that. Um, Yeah, and then the appointment of the three positions that I'm sure we'll get into here in a minute. Um, as of right now, I believe the three positions have been doing a great job. Um, I think that they, it'll be interesting the way that the executives decide to go about the, the constitution change with either saying that it needs to be an electable position or appointed by the executives. But, um, as of right now, all three of our direct, our two directors and our chief justice have been doing a great job.
2: Yeah. So you know, I, I want to talk a little bit more about these particular changes that are being proposed, right? So, you know, obviously, Peter's talked about how, you know, there's been a process that, you know, kind of hasn't been happening, right? There hasn't been enough people running. As in, you know, current sitting senator, how do you see these changes to the Constitution helping fix some of the problems, whether it be structural or cultural, from the SGA going forward?
4: Yeah, so I would say that, Peter was definitely right that we need to be more visible, period. Um, That's why I'm here. That's why Mickey was here last week. And that's why you've had multiple senators on this semester. We want to be more visible. We want to let students know what we do. And that's something that I was talking about in my senator report just last week. Um, We're trying to get a stronger social media presence. We're trying to do these things. And we have projects that we are trying to get through the university and it's so hard to get emails back from certain people. So difficult. Our Student Rights and Identity um, Committee, they're just waiting for emails back. They can't report things because people aren't reporting things to them. And it, it aggravates some of the senators that they can't get stuff done. And we just... We definitely need to be more visible. And to let students know that our meetings are open to you all. You guys are welcome to see what we do and know what we do. And we just need to figure out a little bit more systematically what we need to do. I don't think these constitution changes are gonna do anything to help visibility, period. I think it's gonna help us be able to do business easier. I don't think it does anything for our visibility. But hopefully through these, you know, proposed changes that we have done today, and that the executives want to expand on, we can make the SGA meeting process a lot easier. And that will hopefully draw more people in. Because I would say, I mean, I ran through Board of Elections, um, but it wasn't a race. There weren't enough people for anyone to get eliminated or uh, not win. And so I think that it's important that we, you know, start showing that, you know, we do important things. And you should want to be a part of this because we met with the next president of the university either last week or the week before that. Like, we are the 25 or 28 students that get to do that consistently is meet with important people and tell them what's wrong with this school and say, why aren't you fixing this? How can we make this school better? But we just have not had a line of communication to fix that. And the Constitution changes, I don't believe are going to fix that.
2: And there's one other thing that I wanted to ask as we wrap up this segment about SGA. So we've seen a lot of turnover as well from administration to administration. That's something, listeners, you can read more about in the article. So this semester we go in not only with only 11 people running, but only two out of those 11 being returning senators, and, you know, one has since resigned. So the only current sitting senator that was on Senate last year is Senator Ryan Dollywall. Now, you know, obviously it's a process and it takes time to learn these constitution changes and it takes time to learn how SGA runs. What is SGA looking at to maybe fix some of that problem there with, you know, the structural... I know you talked about, you know, one of the the structural issues being communication with the student body. What about within SGA itself?
4: I think people get into SGA and they realize how much of a time commitment it is. Period. Um, I think I can definitely attest to that. I had six hours of meetings on last Saturday for um, student organizations committee. Not what I wanted to do on my Saturday. I wanted to watch March Madness, but I was sitting in a meeting room for six hours. I think that it comes down to that. And Ryan is on that committee with me and he talks about some of the issues with the last board of executives. And we just, as a group, need to be closer knit. We're trying to hang out a little bit more outside of SGA and the turnover doesn't help, but, you know, the one part of the article that just kind of struck me a little was the comments from the former senators talking about these constitution changes, like, are outrageous. They're kind of, like, hard to grasp. Well, if they were so hard to grasp and you didn't want them to keep moving through, why didn't you run again and keep opposing them? Now you're giving a new Senate a chance to pass these, and so now you're going to have to be happy with them because we want these constitution changes, so
2: that's on you guys. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you, Senator Reeves, and thanks Peter Korchak from Board of Elections for coming in today. Um, this will conclude our segment on the SGA, and I'm sure there' will be more conversations going forward as we talk about the development within SGA itself and within you know SGA's involvement within the Xavier community. so Now I'm gonna turn it over to our co-host Aaron Albright who's gonna do an update on some vandalism that occurred on Xavier's campus last week.
1: Thank you, Hunter. XUPD recently issued an incident report following car break-ins on campus the night of Sunday, March 14th. At approximately 4.57 in the morning, an XUPD officer observed a suspicious vehicle parked in the R1 lot. As the officer entered the lot to investigate, Two unknown persons entered the vehicle and the vehicle left campus quickly. Images and the officer's observation provided a basic description of the vehicle. The officer parked his vehicle and conducted an immediate foot patrol of the lot to discover 12 vehicles with side windows shattered. The vehicles appeared to have been randomly selected and rifled through. Reviewed footage does not have enough clarity to identify the suspect's vehicle or the two people. XUPD identified the damaged vehicle owners and contacted them. Ten of these twelve owners reported nothing of value had been taken from their vehicles. One reported minor damage, and another the theft of loose change. XUPD explained that crimes of this nature typically increase with the return of warmer temperatures. XUPD has also reached out to Norwood Police and Cincinnati Police to share information regarding this incident. In response, two portable camera trailers are being deployed in both R1 and the space between R2 and R3 parking lots. Officers on second and third shift have been and will continue to patrol all of the parking lots of concern, as well as the interior of all buildings and residence halls during the overnight hours of the third shift. And handing it over to David to wrap this up.
0: Thank you very much, Aaron. Listeners, we're going to take a brief intermission, so we will see you after. Back in a flash. Welcome back, listeners. A reminder, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns for the Newswire Multimedia crew, send them over to our email, which is xaviernewswire at gmail.com. You can also find Newswire live episodes and other content on our YouTube channel. Just search Xavier Newswire to find all of our wonderful content. Now, I'd like to introduce our our next very special guest for tonight, Grace Hamilton. Uh, Please introduce yourself and also give us a rundown of the article that we will be discussing today.
5: Uh, Yeah. So hi, everyone. Um, So I wrote this uh, opinion series for the op-ed page entitled We're All Misogynists. Um, And the opinion series was focused on the idea that everyone is a misogynist. And then, you know, I split it into three parts to give specific focus to these ideas. So the first comes in the form of Men self-victimizing to escape the branding of oppressor. So essentially anything to downplay or even erase the violence and misogyny women have experienced at the hands of men is turned into an excuse to make men's victims of their gender. So there is toxic masculinity. There are dangerous ideas of masculinity that, you know, fuel how men view themselves and view women. The issue here is that women are still often made the victims of these feelings um, and in countries, mostly, you know, non-Western countries where masculinity is not viewed in this more dominating and toxic light, women are still oppressed. So, you know, it's, it's not an excuse. Um, and then the other side of this lies in the misogynistic views women hold towards themselves and towards other women Women internalize, you know, what the media and society throws at them about what a woman should be or how a woman is inferior to men. And it turns her into someone that certainly views other women as lesser and herself to an extent that, you know, may not be recognized. It's a form of acceptance of oppression or a form of oppression slash socialization that forces women against each other and against themselves the point where unlearning this, if it ever happens, takes years and, um, you know, derails progress. So dressing up allies as enemies is, you know, an oppressor's tactic. If we're too busy being angry at each other, how can we ever focus that anger at the existing power structure and end it? So the third part is on an ending that kind of pleads the importance of establishing spaces for women and other oppressed groups so they can discuss their experiences and feelings with one another without having to constantly soften their words to appease their oppressors. It's important that we realize our enemy is the existing power structural power structure, the white supremacist, patriarchal, capitalistic society that has never made room for any minor minority, any woman, anyone viewed outside the realm of acceptable and powerful. We do have power, we just need to use it.
0: Wonderful. I'd also like to welcome our guest, who will uh, be discussing this piece alongside Grace tonight. Uh, guest, please introduce yourselves.
1: I am Erin, the co-host. Uh, I'm Mo
6: Junger, World News Editor.
0: Uh, Alright, guest, the floor is all yours.
1: Thank you, David. So, Grace, my first question is, what inspired you to start this series?
5: Um, I guess what inspired me, you know, to write about this specific topic is certainly a lot of my own personal experiences and the experiences of um, women that I know, that I love, that I'm friends with, that are my family, uh it's something that's very important to me that we, you know, give a voice to it.
6: Yeah, Grace, this is Mo. I'd love to hear how you think this manifests at Xavier
5: specifically. Yeah, so at Xavier specifically, because I've experienced, I I think there is an air of, entitlement um to be found in you know a lot of the guys that I've had interactions with on campus and like you know that that's fostered by you know what we what we teach and what values we promote and I've experienced it inside you know certain clubs um uh, you know, in and, and classrooms about what I talk about and what I write about. Uh, and I've had, you know, specific instances where, you know, men, guys on campus have, I guess, um, not attacked, I don't want to say, like, attacked me, but I have been talked down to um because I'm a woman, I've uh, had friends talk down to because I' I'm a, they're women. We've been treated in a certain way. And I think that's an experience, you know, that is commonplace and it gets worse, um, you know, for for women of color, um, for people of color in general on campus, you know,' it's, it's not something, It's certainly an attitude that's fostered everywhere. Yeah,
1: Grace, I agree with you on all of those points that you just made. Um, I have a quick question. So this is the third part in your opinion series on everyone being misogynist. Did you think you would write three parts? Did you think you would just start as one? Um, Is this having the impact on campus that you
5: wanted it to? Um, I think I definitely, the plan was to write three parts for it from the beginning., uh, It was definitely an idea that I wanted to expand on, wanted three parts on to really give a special focus to it. I think it's, I mean, I, I don't know how much of campus it's, you know, reached. Um, I I think it started a certain conversation in in certain environments and whether people react, you know, somewhat negatively to what I've written, whether they disagree, whether they agree, you know, getting a a response is important because at least, you know, then it's on their minds then they're thinking about it. Um, Then it's something that they're considering, you know, whether they end up, saying this is completely false or saying, you know, hey, she might have a point here.
6: Yeah, so you noted you've been hearing a lot of conversations about this piece across campus. Do you feel that those have been mostly negative, that they've been mostly positive? I guess, how have you judged this response?
5: Um... I think it's been mostly positive. I don't, I wouldn't really say any response to it has been necessarily negative. Um, I've had, you know, friends read it and say to me, like, you get it. This is it, you know? And I've had people say, um, I think you left out important parts. I I don't think you structured your argument. Well, I think you generalized too much. And, You know, any criticism is um, good criticism, I I would say, um, because, it, it, you know, it makes me a better writer. It makes me um, take a closer look at my argument and, and, you know, the points I'm trying to make. And I haven't heard anything negative in the realm of, you know, going so far as to be like, these aren't real experiences. What you're feeling is, you know, blown way out of proportion. Like, that hasn't been a response that I've personally heard, which I see as a good thing. Grace, where do you plan
1: on going from here? Do you intend to do a part four or some sort of closing? Do you just want to continue the conversation? What's your next move?
5: Um, I think... The next step, uh, part three was the end of the series, but I write a lot of opinion pieces for the op-ed page. Um, a lot of them are in the, you know, same vein of um, this series. It's, I, I have kind of a particular focus, um, and that's something I'm going to stick with because it's something that's important to me and it's a conversation I I want to continue um so whether I do another series down the line or I just keep writing you know singular pieces for the op-ed page whatever I can do to continue the conversation I'm, I'm gonna do because I think it's an important conversation to have
1: Well, I would like to thank you on behalf of everyone sitting here listening to you and our listeners online for coming on and giving us a phone call about your piece. That is all the questions from Mo and I, so I will hand things back over to David.
0: Thank you very much, Aaron, and thank you very much, Grace. Listeners, if you'd like to hear more of uh, Grace's series, you can read the full series of op-eds on Xavier Newswire's website, and you should definitely go and check them out. Some good stuff. Uh, Now... Every week, the Newswire Live will be updating listeners on the status of COVID-19 on campus. As of March 21st, there are a total of 54 cases in the Xavier community. 52 are students with 35 isolated on campus and 17 isolated off campus, and two of those are employees. Also, as of March 18th, there's 34 students in quarantine on campus with 32 in their residence and two in designated quarantine spaces, as well as 71 students who are isolated off campus. Now, I'd like to turn it over to Chloe Salveson, our campus correspondent for Chloe's Campus Ketchup.
1: Thanks, David. <laughs> okay. Has, an, has a Xavier instructor made you excited to come to class, motivated you to learn, or helped you overcome a challenge? Take a few moments to tell them thank you by submitting a message online and note the the note will be shared with your instructor. The Writing Center is now accepting applications for writing tutor positions until March 21st. People are encouraged to apply for the semester and the fall semester on Handshake. The University Library is accepting entries for their Edible Books event until March 27th. There will be a $50 gift card prize for each category including Best in Show, most creative interpretation, and the best student entry. See the Edible Books webpage on Xavier's website for more information. And that's the Canvas (laughs) Catch-Up. Back to you, David.
0: Okay. Uh, Thank you very much, Chloe. Uh, We'd like to welcome uh, Griffin Brammer. Hi. I see you pulling the mic closer. (laughs) Because guess what?
7: What? I think it's time for hot takes. I think it is, too. You know my usual saying, the only thing hotter than my takes is, of course, myself, so.
0: Let's oh, go. and also we are joined by Mo Junger, Aaron Albright, and perhaps Chloe Salveson.
7: I'll turn the mic back to her. <laughs> I have a very hot take, and it's Savior-related today. Oh, oh, really? Yeah.
0: It's almost as like the series of Savior hot takes.
7: Well, yeah, but, you know, usually I talk <laughs> about crabs or yeah, spinach like and our cr- chuck dip.
0: yeah. So what is the Xavier hot take, <laughs> <laughs>
7: um, Dare I say... Dare you say? The pizza gremlin thing has gotten out of hand in the calf. The what? Um, you may recall from a couple issues ago of Newswire, there was a satire article written by our very own lovely Avery Strychaz about how the pizza ATM is run by gremlins. Yes, I do recall. Um, apparently the staff of the dining hall were quite big fans of that, and they... Really just ran with it, started making their own altered images and displaying them on said TVs in the <laughs> calf. And it was cute at first, but uh-huh. now it's like, I don't know. It's like let things die.
0: So it's, are you are you like kind of comparing it to like corporation Twitter accounts getting in on a memes little bit, a And, little like it bit. was cute because at first? They are
7: quite indeed making their own memes. The recent I have asked our lovely oh. backpage editor, Aiden Callahan, about um, speak, the most speak. recent Pizza ATM Gremlin article that was written, and he yeah. said something along the lines of I was asked by several calf staff to follow up on this, and they sent me their own edited pictures that they have been making for some time now. Hmm. So
6: I'd uh, like to add, as yes. someone who did see those edited pictures, that they were lovely, and calf staff clearly put a lot of time and thought into it.
7: They did, and I'm probably a little salty because I was the original photo editor. (laughs) And And, the truth comes out. (laughs) But at the same point in time, I feel like you really can equate it to corporation Twitter meme culture.
0: Oh, well. Uh, (laughs) Mo, do you have a hot take for us on this fine evening?
6: Absolutely. I am very angry about the new Mrs. Frizzle. I oh. don't think she looks so young. She looks yeah. like a Gen Z TikToker. I okay. need the old Miss Frizzle. I want her piling those kids into the bus yeah. and I want her to be a little grumpy about it.
7: The original Miss Frizzle, as discussed by Mo and I, was the yes. original lesbian. Um The new Miss Frizzle looks like she would call a lesbian a slur on the streets. Um,
6: (laughs) I consider Miss Frizzle part of my culture. And I I think it's wrong that we did her dirty like that. I
7: think Miss Frizzle definitely looks, the new one, definitely looks more millennial. Like the type that would make a rap video on TikTok about how Gen Z is ruining America.
0: Um, mm. uh, As opposed to like the original Miss Frizzle who would like try to instruct children on how to be better citizens of the world
6: (laughs) the original miss frizzle could not figure out how to use zoom like she needs to call you (laughs) to figure out how to get herself off mute
0: we are being asked by our producer to uh uh, explain who miss frizzle is because i do believe that hunter ellis Here's my hot take: Did not have a childhood if he cannot recognize Miss Frizzle by name.
7: Two words: Magic School Bus. Yeah,
0: I got I got a text that said, "Who is Miss Frizzle? Girl from Magic School Bus." This is kids these
6: days, Gen kids Z. Kids these days. <laughs> my hot take, Hunter,
1: our producer, needs to be more
5: informed about pop culture. <laughs>
1: Hot take. (laughs) Our producer insulted me before the show, and I haven't gotten over it.
5: (laughs) Hot
7: take, we're unionizing this radio show.
1: I'm the president of the union. Hot take, hot
2: take
7: should be renamed to the
2: airing of grievances. Yes. Hot take, I'm not our producer.
1: Gwen is. (laughs) Okay, the managing multimedia editor. Look,
0: Hunter, I just have to pretend to know what your job is when I read the credits.
5: (laughs) Take. we don't need to know your title when
1: you are being unionized against
7: okay <laughs> okay um
1: speaking
0: of those credits how about we get to them yeah <laughs> ouch thanks griffin does anyone else have a hot take or we ended this that is it okay cool listeners unfortunately that's all the time we have for today uh in this episode of newswire live thank you so very much for tuning into the show tonight if you have any questions suggestions comments or concerns to the newswire multimedia crew send them over to our email which is xaviernewswire at gmail.com if we would like to give a special thanks to carolyn youngquist a senior music education major at xavier who produced the music heard in today's show as well as Raphael crooks for the song inspiration which as always is our intermission music At this time, we'd also like to give a shout-out to our staff and guests who helped make this episode possible. Thank you so very much to Acting Acting Editor-in-Chief Alex Budzinski for the Newswire, Managing Multimedia Editor Hunter Ellis, Show Manager Chloe Salveson, Campus Correspondent Chloe Salveson, Co-host Aaron Albright, Friend of the Show Grace Hamilton, and Friend of the Show Griffin Brammer, our Producer Gwen Haggerty, our Audio Editor Sebastian Aguilar, and our Guests. Board of Elections Chairperson Peter Korchak and SGA Senator David Reeves. Without all of you, this show would not be possible. Um, you can find full Newswire Live episodes if you missed anything. You can find full episodes and other segments on YouTube. Just search Xavier Newswire to find our channel. I am being signaled that we also have Mo Junger. I'm sorry, very sorry, Mo. Um... <laughs> uh, Without you, this show would not be possible. <laughs> uh, you can find full Xavier Newswire live episodes and other segments on YouTube. If you missed anything, just search Xavier Newswire to find our channel. But of course, we'd love to have you live, so don't miss our next episode, which of course is Monday at 7 p.m. Until next time, this is David Ludwig.
1: And I'm Erin Albright.
0: Wishing you a happy Monday evening and reminding you not to put the cart before the horse. Goodbye.